to Sojourner True. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Today, the runoff election to fill a six-year Senate seat in Georgia is, according to a latest poll, in a dead heat between Senator Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker. This despite numerous damning scandals involving Walker, including claims that he paid for abortions for two women while professing opposition to a woman's right to choose. To get the latest on what is happening um, in Georgia, our guest is Barbara Arnwine, veteran civil rights and human rights leader and advocate, currently the president and founder of the Transformative Justice this coalition and the nation's largest strike of higher education workers enters its third week today. 48,000 academic workers, including graduate school teaching assistants and researchers in the University of California system, are demanding higher pay and better benefits. Our guests are Sarah Hussein a PhD graduate student worker in the history department at UCLA and Desmond Fonseca, third year PhD student and academic worker also at UCLA who has held positions as a teacher assistant and graduate student researcher in the last three years. We live in a global world. We're all interrelated. So on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted women, communities of color and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics. Now for our news headlines. For Pacifica Radio, I'm Christina Onestead. President Joe Biden is calling on Congress to pass legislation to intervene and block a railroad strike before next month's deadline in the stalled contract talks. Four rail unions rejected the deal the Biden administration helped broker between railroad workers and companies. Eight unions approved it. At issue is paid sick leave. The president's deal includes one day of. Biden said on social media that he's a proud pro-labor president and is reluctant to override the ratification procedures and views of those who voted against the agreement. But, quote, in this case where the economic impact of a shutdown would hurt millions, I believe Congress must use its powers to adopt this deal, unquote. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says lawmakers will take up legislation to impose the terms of the deal this week. If Congress acts, it would force the labor deal to move ahead. That includes a 24% raise over several years and a $5,000 bonus. Critics note railroads have reaped billions in profits and can afford to offer better paid sick leave benefits. NATO Secretary Jan Stoltenberg says war-torn Ukraine will one day become a member of the world's largest security alliance and blasted Russia's attacks on the country's power grid as weaponizing winter. He made the comments at a NATO foreign minister summit. Russia's uh, recent uh, losses, including its withdrawal from Kherson, demonstrate the incredible courage and bravery of the Ukrainian forces. It also shows uh, our support, um, uh, that our support makes a difference on the battlefield uh, and uh, must uh, continue. The Russian military uh, retains significant capabilities and a large number of troops. 
It is willing to use uh, extreme brutality and leave Ukraine cold and dark this winter. Ukraine's power grid has been battered since early October by targeted Russian strikes. During the two-day meeting, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is expected to announce substantial U.S. aid for Ukraine's energy grid. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky says Russia will launch another barrage of missile attacks on Ukraine. Air raid sirens went off today across many parts of the country, including the capital, Kiev. Mayor Vitaly Klitschko spoke to Al Jazeera. We have a deficit of 50 percent of electricity. It's mean one half million citizens of our hometown without electricity. It's terrorism. Ukraine's president says Russia's damaged the water supply to Mykolaiv and it's shelled some two dozen regions around Kherson. More could be on the way. The Institute for the Study of War says Russian troops are preparing for a possible counteroffensive in eastern Kherson. In the U.S., the Senate is set to vote on legislation to protect same-sex and interracial marriage today, putting Congress one step closer to passing the landmark bill, ensuring those unions are enshrined in federal law. Senate Democrats are moving to quickly pass the bill while they still hold the majority in both chambers. The House still would have to vote on the legislation to send it to President Joe Biden. A test vote last night moved the legislation closer to passage, with 12 Republicans voting again to move it forward. Catherine Carley reports. Senator Tammy Baldwin of Wisconsin, the first openly gay person to serve in the U.S. Senate, is celebrating the passage of another procedural step to strengthen protections for same-sex and interracial marriages. Certainly throughout the American public, the acceptance of marriage equality, the belief that one ought to be able to marry and protect the person they love, is... uh, Now, I would say almost overwhelmingly supported. The Respect for Marriage Act would guarantee federal recognition of any marriage between two individuals if the union was valid in the state where it was performed. It would also require states to accept the legitimacy of a valid marriage performed elsewhere. I'm Catherine Carley for Pacifica Network and Public News Service. Chinese universities are sending students home and police are fanning out in Beijing and Shanghai to stop widespread protests there. That comes after crowds angered by severe antivirus restrictions called for leader Xi Jinping to resign in the biggest show of public dissent in decades. Authorities have eased some controls after demonstrations in at least eight mainland cities in Hong Kong, but they showed no signs of backing off their larger zero-COVID strategy that's confined millions of people to their homes for months at a time. Security forces have detained an unknown number of people and stepped up surveillance. With police out in force, there's no word of protests in Beijing, Shanghai, or other major mainland cities today, though a small group gathered at a university in Hong Kong. The white gunman who massacred 10 black people at a Buffalo supermarket has pled guilty to first-degree murder and hate-motivated terrorism charges. Peyton Gendron's plea means he'll spend the rest of his life in prison without parole. New York does not have the death penalty. Buffalo Mayor Byron Brown. Justice has been done. This individual has admitted their guilt and the penalty for this horrific crime is for this individual never ever to see the light of day again. Life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. I'm Christina Onestead reporting for Pacifica Radio. And this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. And we're going to uh, start off with the runoff election in Georgia. It's down to the count, um, a 50-50 split 
uh, now in the Senate that could be broken by uh, Vice President uh, Harris. But a win in Georgia in the Senate uh, runoff between um, the Democratic candidate Senator Raphael Warnock and Republican Herschel Walker is very significant. Um, among other things, it could render, according to the Washington Post, um, Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, who blocked um, the continuing, the very popular child tax credit, the expanded child tax credit. Um, of course, all of the Republicans voted against it, but uh, Joe Manchin's vote was needed by the Democrats uh, to get it through the Senate, and he refused. Uh, let us go now to a clip from uh, CBS on some of the latest out of Georgia. I mean, obviously, we're entering the last full week of campaigning from uh, both candidates as they prepare for this December 6th runoff. So uh, both candidates have a very robust schedule planned this week uh, with a lot of key surrogates. Senator uh, Raphael Warnock uh, will be bringing down uh, former President Barack Obama later this week. Uh, Herschel Walker has been on the trail today after a little bit of a break over the holiday. He has been leaning heavily on Governor Brian Kemp, releasing a new ad today featuring the governor who appeared at an event for Walker about a week or so ago. And so uh, really the final sprint is on as Georgia uh, braces for Election Day yet again. So when you look at that Brian Kemp coalition in Georgia, is Kemp actually pulling the levers of power he has in Georgia to make it come out for Herschel Walker? Because it seems for months he's been pretty hands off with Herschel Walker's campaign. Well, you know, and I did talk to him about that during the general election, but that is something that he pushed back against, uh, saying that he was uh, willing to uh, help Herschel Walker. And uh, while they did not campaign together during the general election, again, we saw uh, Brian Kemp come out for Herschel Walker right before uh, the holiday. And again, that is featured now in a new ad for uh, Herschel Walker. And uh, he has put a lot of his get out the vote operation has kind of put that on loan, if you will, uh, to the Senate leader. Leadership Fund, uh, which is uh, in part uh, assisting Herschel Walker as far as its ground game and, and getting out the vote uh, in collaboration with uh, the Republican National Committee. Uh, that being said, uh, you know, with that combined effort, uh, which is about a $2 million turnout operation, they have uh, roughly about 400 to uh, 500 uh, staffers on the ground assisting. But uh, Compare that to Senator Raphael Warnock, who has about uh, 900 uh, paid staffers on the ground, according to campaign officials. Uh, they have also been uh, out raising uh, uh, Walker. And so uh, we have seen that uh, by the volume of mm -hmm. ads uh, that Senator Warnock has been uh, putting out on the airwaves uh, in Georgia. So it really will be a fierce fight to the finish. A fierce fight to the finish. Barbara Arnwine, veteran, civil rights and human rights leader and advocate, president and founder of the Transformative Justice Coalition for decades. She was the executive director of the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights. She is known nationally and internationally uh, for her work for uh, voting rights and uh, against uh, voter suppression. She created the 2011 Voter Suppression Map of Shame and continues to champion civil rights issues in the areas of housing, fair lending, community development, employment, voter justice, education, environmental justice, 
and more. She's an award. She, she has won awards uh, for her work, and she has been working tirelessly, it seems, nonstop on Get Out the Vote. And now, Barbara, welcome. We're looking to you to give us the reality of what it's like on the ground in Georgia. Barbara Ardwine, welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me, Margaret. And it's always a joy to be on your show. And yes, you see I'm in a car uh, because we are on the road. We are out here in these streets organizing, assisting, and educating voters to the maximum degree. And in Georgia right now, people are setting new records every day for voter turnout. And this is despite all the impediments that voters are going through because of SB 202, the last year's uh, past voter suppression law. And it is, let me be very clear, underneath all the stories I'm going to tell you about this record turnout, be very clear that Black seniors are suffering. Uh, there's like a million, 1.3 million less absolutely ballots in this election um, because of the fact that people are, um, you know, unable to apply and to submit the, all the requirements to get an absentee ballot. And most of the people who are hurt are Black seniors, Black seniors. And it's really hurting the Black vote because if you look at what happened during the midterms, the Turnout for African-Americans was high during early voting, high during all the in-person voting, but very much depressed by the lack of absentee voting. So, we, yeah, Barbara, Barbara, before you continue, explain to us why that is. Uh, you know, what 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 happened? Because there's also this short period of time that this runoff is taking place. There you Barbara, go. It's it's less than a third of the time that we had last time for the last runoff. Uh, but they did all of this to make it harder for voters to, to vote. And one of the things that SB 202 did was it said that in order for you to apply for an absentee ballot, instead of being able to get on the automatic list like they used to have, that you could prove that you were a senior, you could prove you were disabled, you could prove any other need for an absent ballot, and you were on an automatic list and you got your ballot mailed to you immediately when it was time for an election. Now you have to submit an application with a proof of your driver's license, your voter card, or some other photo ID. If you and seniors, of course, don't have like we have who are, you know, professionals or whatever. They don't have copier machines at home. They don't, you know, many of them are, you know, very much home ridden. And so trying to get a copy of their ID to submit with an application has become a formidable barrier. We told them it was. They, they refused to believe it and kept saying that this was not a voter suppression method. And we said, yes, it is. You know the impact it will have on Black seniors. You know the impact it's going to have on anybody who's disabled. And it is definitely impacting those communities badly right now. Wow. And, you know, there... <laughs> 
looking at the ground operation, you have uh, the now elect Republican Governor Kemp, right? Um, he is now throwing his operation, you know, behind, um, you know, Herschel Walker. And meanwhile, the ground, tell us a bit about the ground operation, because I heard, and I think it was even mentioned in that clip, that Walker's operation about 400 staffers or so, uh, Warnock about 900. But it seems as though there's a lot of catching up that has to be done, given what you have said. And we have also heard that there has been record-breaking uh, turnout, right, with this early voting. So just trying to sort out <laughs> what all of that means, okay, <laughs> in terms of how things are looking in this election. Well, it's really amazing because I'm here on the ground and so is you know, Black Voters Matters, the mighty Georgia Coalition for the People's Agenda, Georgia, you know, the New Georgia Project, of course, you know, all these great organizations, Hip Hop Caucus, we're all working together and we're all here on the ground together trying to get out this vote. But let me be very clear. That, you know, one of the things we'll be doing today is something you're going to see all over the states, uh, all over the state of Georgia. And that is we're going to be at a senior citizen complex today, helping seniors get rise to the polls because they can't absentee ballot. So we got to make sure we got, you know, disability accessible uh, vehicles to help people go to the polls. So we're going to be helping seniors. And there is a statewide a website that people need rise to the polls because we know that's one of the biggest barriers for black Georgians in particular. You can go to ride to the poll.com ride to the poll.com and apply for a ride. And we've been helping people get to the polls. The other thing that we don't do it doing is you're helping the young voters because interestingly, the young voters are leading the vote this time. They are the highest cohort for turnout in the entire state. And so you're going, wait, wait a minute. You got record turnout. You got seniors being depressed, but Young voters are leading the way. Yes, all of it makes sense when you put it together. Uh, that if you have less seniors voting, then of course the young cohort numbers are going to be larger uh, proportionally. Uh, it also means, however, that the young people are on fire. You know, I am so happy we were on the campus of the Atlanta University Center yesterday uh, with uh, you know Clark Atlanta, Morehouse, Spelman. Uh, you know, all these uh, black, uh, historically black colleges and university uh, students, and they were on fire. You should have seen them out there dancing, out there uh, getting their T-shirts, out there making their voter pledges. You should see there's so much enthusiasm, Margaret, on the street that uh, we were the other out. Yes, last night we were doing sign waving at one of the major uh, intersections, you know, the uh, Jackson Street Bridge uh, area. And a person drove by us and pointed to his forehead and he had his uh, I voted sticker on his forehead. That's the kind of <laughs> got here in Georgia. We rolled up on one place and people were uh, in line. Uh, uh, what was uh, we heard was a three hour line and people told and we uh, uh, my friend asked them from our car um, how long have you been waiting? The sister replied with her group 
We don't care how long we wait. We're going to vote today. And that's the kind of energy. It's outrageously beautiful, but it's wrong that the state is doing everything it can to try to make it harder for voters. Remember, we just won that lawsuit we talked about where they were trying to block voters from having Saturday voting. And we won that lawsuit. And guess what, Margaret? 69 plus thousand people showed up and voted. Uh, it, it, even though those those counties had to put the voting together quickly and only 25 counties could offer voting on Saturday because of all that opposition by the state, all the delay they forced with the lawsuit. And so I am so proud of Georgia voters because they turned up and turned out on Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and they're out here doing their thing on Tuesday. Yeah, and you know, uh, Barbara RNY, we could just hear that passion in your voice. We really appreciate it. And our show, Sojourner Truth, of course, is on in Atlanta. We have a, a big following in Atlanta, and hopefully, uh, you know, areas around Atlanta. So, on my message to all of the listeners to this show: get out and vote. And also yes. um, volunteer when you where you can, because Barbara, what worries me about the seniors? Not only were they not only you know able to get uh, that early ballot, as you said, and you're focusing on on getting them right to the polls, but this business about you can't give out water uh, to oh, people. I mean, if people are three hours online, you know what I'm t talking. We're talking about seniors who may be dealing with all kinds of issues, is that still the reality that they yes. can't be afforded any water? That's correct. It is really bad. You know, when I was here for the last runoffs, you had food trucks, you know, directly, you know, very close to the polling sites. You had people, you know, giving water. You had people giving breakfast, uh, lunch, dinner, you know, helping people to vote, giving out chairs. What I noticed this time, very little assistance at all, even for the chairs. And I noticed that people look, you know, you know, some people you can tell are suffering, you know, while they're trying to wait. But people are encouraging each other. I am so proud of these Georgia voters because what I noticed is that I've seen almost no solo voters. Everybody I've noticed is in a group. They've all come together to help each other through this experience. So that is, you know, horrible that that's the way people have the feel. But at the same time, it's great that they figured it out. That this is the way they support each other. This is the way they take care of each other. So I could not be happier, prouder, more grateful for their work. Right. And, and, you know, Barbara, and, you know, to show the importance of every voter, I think in the midterms, I think it was in New Hampshire someplace um, <laughs> where someone won by like one vote. But I'm one noting that there's an article, I think it's an AP article that came out in the uh, Amsterdam News out of New York, where they described uh, Andrew Young, who, of course, civil rights icon, former mayor of, of Atlanta. And one of the things that he said, I mean, he's 90 years old now, and I want to quote him. He says, quote, one vote at the end of the Civil War pulled all of the Union troops out of the South and lost us the rights we had fought for in the war and that people had fought for us. 
he said, starting a struggle that we have been in ever since. And of course, he's talking about the uh, reconstruction, how that was uh, dismantled. I didn't realize that it was one vote. uh, So people got to be thinking about about that today. Um, But the the other thing, too, I I wanted to ask you about this, this polling. I did see one poll um, that's saying it's a dead heat. It's uh, 50-50, although they are showing that independent uh, voters are going for the Democrat Warnock over Herschel Walker by four percentage points, 52 to 48. So that might make a difference. But it's it's very tight. And, um, you know, Herschel Walker, uh, you know, endorsed by, by Trump is a Trumpster, right? Um, and all of the scandals that have come out against him. But it seems as though the whole of the Republican establishment had descended on Georgia to prop up this man that I'll give my personal view here. Maybe we can't endorse candidates. We're Pacifica. But as far as I'm concerned, you how this man is not qualified. You know what I'm saying? To, to, to be running. And, you know, just just tell us about that. I mean, are you seeing any other polling? I mean, do you think that's that's pretty accurate? Well, it's fascinating. Uh-huh. So I am here as a nonpartisan person, uh, mm-hmm. you know, because our group does not endorse candidates. But mm-hmm. what's clear is the energy is different. You know, I've been watching at least here in Atlanta, uh, Columbus, uh, places I've gone. I have observed a lot of energy for the Warnock campaign. I have observed you know, very, very low energy or absence for the um Walker camp, at least in the areas I've been in, and that might be because I've been in a lot of black areas. Uh, but I do want to say that you know one thing that Mitch McConnell said that was so important. He said candidate quality matters uh, in any race, and so people are making some really good you know decisions. One guy came up to me last night at the restaurant and he saw my John Lewis button that we wear, just like we got our John Lewis buses. And he said, who do I vote for? And I said, I can't tell you who to vote for, but I can tell you what's important to you. What are the policies that you care about? That's the candidate you ought to be voting for. And I think that's what's happening is that the students are turning out in record numbers uh, because for Warnock, that's very clear. And that's why the young people vote is, I think, so energized. Is what uh, on Saturday the youth vote was sixty-two percent of all voters. Sixty-two percent. Wow, that's unheard of. Unheard of anywhere. Uh, and I just think that it shows the energy. But also, you know, like you said, we still got this work to do. Uh, to make sure uh, people can vote because yesterday when I was at the uh, MLK, Dr. Martin Luther King Center, Aquatic Center, uh, and the seniors heard me, uh, you know, working with them, trying to figure out how we could help get seniors to the polls. And they started yelling, we want rides. We need rides to the polls. Please come and get us. Please come back. I mean, that is telling you everything about the energy that's on the ground right now, as we are talking right now, this is what people are going through. And I have nothing but the greatest love and respect for Georgia's voters. And everybody, if you're listening, 
right now and you're saying, I have family, friends, colleagues in Georgia, call them up. Make sure they're voting. Uh, you know, make sure they know that they need to vote again, uh, that they got to vote for this runoff election, that they can vote, that if they need help with Rise to the Polls, that they can go to ridetothepoll.com and get help. If they are having problems trying to vote, they can go to 866-R-VOTE, the Election Protection Hotline. Please, people, let's help Georgia. Georgia needs help because, sadly, the state is not about helping its own voters. That's a tragedy, and it's wrong. It's absolutely, and 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 Barbara, we know you're in the car. You're on the way. We don't want to uh, take too much more of your time. I do want you to uh, repeat information about how people could get rights again. We're yes. also going to post it up on uh, the social media of, of the show. But here you have Warnock pastor of Atlantis, Ebenezer Baptist Church, the church of, of MLK, uh, up against a man who is claiming to be, um, quote unquote, pro-life, meaning, well, basically against a woman's right to choose, uh, but yet paid for the abortion of, of, of two women. And this is what he's, he's up against. So, you know, there's no joke when people are saying that the, this midterm election is really a choice with whether you're going to continue uh, to build towards this democracy. Cause I, you know, I don't think this country is there yet, or if it's going to go in the other direction that Trump and people like um, the Republican candidate in Georgia wants to take us. So please um, repeat that. And, and Barbara, one other thing I want to mention too, for people who are active with the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival, they are doing text banking every yes. day. So please go to the Poor People's Campaign website, go to the Transformative Justice Coalition website, you know, try to find out. So you don't have to, you know, you you, you could be involved in helping to support this effort in, in Georgia, wherever you are. So Barbara, give us those um, uh Oh, yes. That information again. Okay, here's a couple of websites people need to know about. If you're trying to help uh, and you would like to text, bank, or you would like to phone, make phone calls, people need to be called very much. A lot of Georgians have what you call internet deserts, meaning that they're not on the internet, but they do have telephones. And Uh. so we want people to call uh, to help make calls. You can go to voting rightsalliance.org votingrightsalliance.org and sign up votingrightsalliance.org and sign up to do phone banking or taxing you can also uh, if you want to help give a ride to the poll if you need a ride to the poll you can go to ride to the poll.com ride to the poll com, And if you have friends and others who are telling you that they can't get to the polling site, then that's the website you should give them because we've been giving hundreds of rides. The Georgia Coalition for the People's Agenda is giving hundreds of rides to people out there. The other website is that if you're having trouble trying to vote, or, or we had to get a police officer, listen to this, Margaret, we had to get a police officer off the line the other day. 
He was walking what? the line with the uh, talking to people about their absentee ballots. Now, what was he doing that for? We had to get him off the line here in Atlanta in Fulton, Fulton County. Uh, so if you're having trouble at the polls, call 866-OUR-VOTE, 866-687-8683. Uh, that is the election protection hotline that I helped to create back in 2000, and it's been helping just God knows how many millions of voters over these years. I also want people to know that if you need just more information about where your polling place is, you can go to the My Voter page, Georgia, and that's MVP, My Voter page, MVP dot SOS dot ga dot gov that has everything where every polling site is it's open uh during early voting and we're in the hours the locations also it ha will have that information on december 6th the election day we are telling everybody vote early if you can make sure that you get your vote on don't take no for an answer. Don't you dare leave that polling place without at least voting a provisional ballot if they're trying to block your vote. You know, make sure that they at least allow you to do your provisional ballot and that you come back and cure your ballot with whatever information they're claiming you need to provide. We're saying to every voter because every evening now it's taken an almost two hours for them to finish clearing the lines of all the people who are waiting in line. So if you are in line, I don't care if you're out in the street like some of these lines have been. I don't care if you're out in the woods like some of these lines have been. I don't care how where you are positioned. As long as you were in line before 7 o'clock p.m., you have the right to vote. And people have been... Uh, hundreds have been left in lines uh, waiting after 7 o'clock p.m. to vote, and they have made sure that they voted. Don't be deterred. Don't let anybody tell you your vote doesn't count. Every single vote counts. Oh, you are important. We love you, Georgia voters. Keep it up. Keep turning out and help the seniors. Help the seniors. That's right, Barbara Arnwine. We so appreciate you and all of all of your work. Barbara, what you're describing, it feels like a war is going on. <laughs> I think of, of my cousin from back in SNCC and surrounded by racists and yeah. whatnot, trying to register people to vote. I mean, you know, these people <laughs> want to take us back. Barbara. So there is a war going on. There is a fight for the right to vote. Whoever you want to vote for, whichever candidate you want to vote for, the thing is, is to get out and vote. And Barbara, one last thing. I am yes. so proud of the young people. I am oh. so proud of what they have done in this midterm election. Because if you look at the older voters that are skewing one way, but the young, young people are saying, you know what, we're not having it. Get out of the way because we need a different kind of society. So, Barbara, I know you've done some training with young people. Thank you so much, Barbara. And can I tell you that that's one of my joys of being here is that we have what we call TJC fellows. And we have a whole score of them with us who have wow. come from 
all around the country and Georgia to help. And I tell you, they got energy and love for voting. They were out with us last night, you know, doing sign waving until it got dark. They were out this morning, uh, you know, first thing with the law, uh, you know, Don doing sign waving. They're just amazing. And they've been, you know, calling, they've been canvassing, they've been walking the streets and they will be canvassing with us, uh, you know, throughout Atlanta and throughout Gwinnett County, throughout DeKalb County, throughout uh, Muskogee, throughout uh, you know Henry, throughout all these counties. I mean, we're going down to Albany, we're going up to Macon, we're going to Savannah, to Brunswick, to Camden. We're going everywhere because voters in Georgia need support. They need it. Athens, Augusta, we love you. Thank you, Georgia voters. Thank you, young people, for getting out here and being the new SNCC. They are the new SNCC. They no. are the new student for nonviolent coordinating committee. Uh, they are just amazing. I just love them. It makes me, you know, just laugh and cry at the same time with joy. Hopeful, the freedom banner, um, which you have done for so many decades, Barbara Arnwine election, just a week away. A week away. Is that right? Did I get that right? Yes. Oh, so you are right. You gotta Tuesday. step to it, folks. Yeah. Next Tuesday, December 6th at 7 o'clock will be the end of voting here in Georgia for this election, although I'm sure the lines will be long and they're going to have the process, you know, some votes afterwards. But I just want people to know very much that you need to get your vote on this week. Uh, there's early voting until Friday the 2nd at 7 o'clock p.m. and then again on December 6th. All righty. Thank you so very much. We'll continue to follow this very closely. We appreciate you. Uh, this you. is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. And coming up, another struggle where young people are at the forefront, the nation's largest strike of higher education workers enters its third week. It's shaking things up. The national press is starting uh, to pay some attention to it. Um, We're going to spend the rest of the hour digging deep into what is happening, what's behind the strike, where things are. Sarah uh, Hussein, who is a PhD graduate student worker at the history department at UCLA, is waiting in the wings to speak with us. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Yes, this is the ghetto. Shown up now. Oh, 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 oh,
on Instagram and Twitter at So True Radio. If you're a member of Facebook, you can like and friend us there. We're also nationwide and worldwide on SoundCloud. And today we'd like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners across the great state of Georgia. And internationally, we would like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in Ireland, our SoundCloud listeners in Ireland. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. And we are now going to turn our attention to the University of California system shakeup going on. The nation's largest strike of higher education workers in its third week, 48,000 academic workers, including graduate school teaching assistants and researchers in the University of California system are making their demands and making their power felt. The collective labor action is spearheaded by four United Auto Workers bargaining unit across all 10 of the University of California uh, campuses. We're going to be finding out a bit more about uh, the average student pay, um, you know, student worker pay, which is uh, pretty uh, low. Uh, There have been many attempts to reach a deal. This has been ongoing, but it seems no agreement is in sight. Our guest um, will fill us in, give us any update on that, and also to discuss the response of faculty members, how our faculty members are responding. And before we, we welcome our guests and get into it, I also want to thank um, uh, Robin DJ Kelly at UCLA, um, who put us in touch with our guests here. I'd like to welcome her, uh, Sarah saying PhD, <clears throat> graduate student worker in the history department at UCLA. Uh, Sarah, welcome. Thank you, Margaret. Good morning. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, and I just want to say to our listeners that Desmond, we had hoped he would be on, but he had to flee because he had uh, picket line duties. (laughs) And our first guest also had a time certain. Um, So I'm sure we will be able to speak with him at uh, another time. But Sarah, we are happy uh, to have you on. Sarah, let us start with the conditions of uh, graduate student workers. like about what do they earn and what percentage of what they earn have to go for just rent? Yes, Margaret, this is basically one of our primary demands in our contract as we are fighting with the UC to basically give us a fair contract so that we can earn a living wage to be able to live and work in California. Um, Like you said that we are Basically, we're one union with four bargaining units all across UC campuses and all of these campuses across the state of California oftentimes, you know, are with the 8%, you know, generationally historic inflation that we're seeing. It's very, very difficult with our salaries to be able to live and work near the universities that we do our research, that we teach in, that we contribute so much to um, building such a strong UC. So oftentimes... Students are paying, graduate student workers are paying from 30% to 80% of their salaries to rent just to be able to afford to live, not just, you know, we're not talking about food and gas and transit, um, all part of our demands as well. But um, basically, 
the base wage for an academic student employee is $24,000 per year. This is a completely unlivable salary anywhere in California, anywhere in the country, but especially in California. So we are basically organizing, we are fighting for many, many months um, to be able to bargain with the UC to address these key issues of equity and, and matching a cost of living and fair and safe working conditions, which without these things, you know, people are being pushed out of academia. Many of us are unable to go on like this. Many of us are unable to continue living and working in these cities that we want to be in. We want to be continue doing the research that we love. We enjoy teaching. We love doing what we do. We contribute to UCLA, UC Berkeley, UC Santa Cruz, all the UCs cutting edge research and the kind of transformative work that they do on all kinds of scientific and social issues. But we can't do the work that we want to do. We can't do the work that we came here to do on salaries like $24,000. It's just impossible. And basically our strike here that we are doing, and like you said, it's going into our third week now. We are striking because over the past many months of bargaining with UC, they have failed to come in and bargain with good, uh, in good faith with us. Um, they have contributed to several instances of unlawful conduct in the bargaining process, a wide variety of these kinds of unfair labor practices. And so they are actually the ones preventing us from reaching a fair agreement and a fair contract for us. Yeah, I mean, talk about a, a class divide right on university campuses. And I I don't think that people generally have a sense about the role that graduate school teaching assistants and researchers play. Because fundamentally, at least knowing the experience of my daughter, when, you know, mm-hmm. uh, go, going through, you know, like the, the university really couldn't function, could it? Without the graduate school teaching assistants and researchers, you carry a huge load. Absolutely, Margaret. Um, As you know, probably, we do the majority of the teaching and research at the UCs. Could you repeat that, please? (laughs) Underscore that. Yes, Margaret. Thank you for bringing this up. We, as academic student employees, postdocs, academic researchers, all of us do the majority, the bulk of the teaching and research at UC. In short, this university system works because of us, because we work. The fact that the vast majority of these academic workers are rent burdened and are unable to really live in near colleges that they work at is just unacceptable. You know, to for UCLA, for example, which is the university that I go to, it touts itself as the number one public university in the nation. And that's primarily because of the research that we contribute to across disciplines. That's our work, our research. We are in the labs. We are in the classroom. We are publishing our our work and our research, and we enjoy the work we do. We want to do it, but we simply cannot do it on $24,000 a year. $24,000 $24,000 a year, unbelievably, given, I mean, not only in Los Angeles, but anywhere you find a, a UC campus. Now, uh, Sarah, in addition to living wages, some of your demands include greater support for parents and caregivers. Yes. Why is that important? Why is that in there? Margaret, this is important because many of us as graduate student workers, we are parts of families. We have children, we have partners, and we are asking the UC 
to give every parent the support that they need to focus on their work and the care for their child. UC can do this. They can do this by offering sufficient child care benefits. They can do this by offering expanded family leave. They can do this by offering dependent health care for all academic workers. Also, this is in particularly a gender issue as well. It's to advance gender equity that we're asking for these things. Primary caregivers, a lot of them identify as women. They're disproportionately impacted. We are forced to choose whether or not we want to, because of the lack of the UC's reasonable child care subsidies and paid leave and making it easier for us to be able to do the work that we're here to do, women are disproportionately impacted by this by this lack of care and this lack of support. So this kind of fair compensation to working parents who are parents and those who have children are the most severely rent burdened academic workers that you see, asking the University of California to fairly compensate us and give us support for these child care responsibilities is a key demand that we're working for in our fair contract. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, so many, so many women actually, because you do, you are for the most part, the primary caregiver, and that definitely impacts, you know, your, your academic life or even, you know, deciding um, how you're going to be moving forward um, and building a career. But I also wanted to ask you about the international scholars because you all have succeeded where others have not. Back in 2019, I remember mm-hmm. the UC Santa Cruz strike yeah. and the, the Janet Napolitano, who was um, mm-hmm. then the UC president, she mobilized the police. Demonstrators were brutalized. International students were threatened yes. with deportation. And I see that in your demands, you also talk about international scholars and, and concerns. So tell us a bit about that as well. Absolutely. Um, our international scholars are in a particularly vulnerable position as workers in the University of California system, primarily because there's something called the non-resident supplemental tuition. This is basically a completely unfair extra burden on these international scholars who even though they live in California, they work at UC, do not qualify for California state residency. And these non-residents who are contributing their labor, their knowledge, their scholarship, all to building a stronger and more, a stronger UC, these non-residents is what they call these international scholars. They are charged as much as $15,000 more intuition. That $15,000 comes out of their pocket. They are simply, they are punished because of their place of birth. And they have to basically pay $15,000 from a salary that's already unlivable. Okay. And that's, that's causing them to rush their time degree. Oftentimes they do not finish. So there are hurdles in obtaining their research goals and their teaching employment are much higher. And they have to, they are burdened financially with this 15 K demand, which is something that we are working hard to fight to come off of the contract. Not to mention, you know, international scholars have to pay already many, many fees, such as for their visa fees that already cut into their their very low wages that the UC pays us. Um, So this is thousands and thousands of dollars of fees a year. And so charging people solely based on what country that they were born in while they're doing the same, if not more work that the rest of us do. It's a discriminatory 
financial mechanism. It penalizes workers and it really, it pushes people out, pushes out very talented individuals and pushes them, forces them to leave the UC. Right. And of course, you know, their healthcare and sustainable transit options, et cetera. But um, just in the time we have left, it's amazing how the time flies. I wanted to ask about response from faculty members and maybe even staff. I I don't know what the the total number of faculty are in the UC system. We know that there are 10 campuses. We found that uh, close to 300 faculty members at all 10 of those campuses announced on Monday that they won't cross the picket line. Of course, that includes Angela Davis at UC Santa Cruz. It includes Robin Kelly at UCLA, uh, Judith Butler at UC Berkeley, et cetera. But what is that looking like in terms of uh, support from faculty and even staff? We we sadly just have about two minutes left. Right. So we are. Thank you for mentioning the um, 300 tenure tenure track faculty members that announced on Monday that would stop teaching and grading. Um, Support from faculty at this point really looks like standing in solidarity with their TAs, with their graduate student researchers, with their postdocs who are striking for a better pay. This kind of it varies across department. Um, how much staff and, and faculty have been willing to really stand in solidarity with us as we withhold our labor, um, especially as the next couple of weeks come up and we're withholding our labor. That means withholding submitting grades, final grades when the fall quarter comes up. Um, we ask that faculty really stand in solidarity with us. Um, this this has really been um, especially those who you know, are protected by the university, their tenure, tenure faculty. Um, so depending on the department, it has been varied support by faculty members um, across the UC. And basically some, some professors have stated that they won't resume their classes, you know, until the strike was over. We have asked professors to cancel their classes. And, you know, undergraduates understand this for the most part. We have had a lot of undergraduate outreach once we explain to them, you know, what we're doing. They have stood in solidarity with us because, you know, Margaret, teaching doesn't always happen in the classroom. For us to be able to be able to be good educator, educators and do what we want to do, we have to be able to be supported in our livelihoods. And this is setting a great example for undergraduates they have studied they have stayed in solidarity with us um and we ask that more and more faculty also follow in these footsteps um and and stand in these in solidarity with us um who are striking for better pay there has been increasing intimidation by the university administration to pressure faculty into naming names of who's striking um and there's been we have filed um, even more labor practice violations as people have been um been retaliated against um threats of being fired so faculty and staff really play a huge role in saying no and stopping this kind of university administration and saying we're going to stand with our striking graduate student workers until they get a fair contract that allows them to do that allows basically them to do the work that they're here to do as well um so yes that's basically yeah. mm-hmm. right yeah yeah you know given we're kind of out of time but next time we're going to continue to follow this story and i'd really like to get a sense of how you all did it 
because I think this is the first time I know that graduate students have made various efforts, you know, at organizing uh, before, but uh, this is the, the largest uh, one, the, the third week. And from what I understand, it's been over 50 bargaining sessions, 95 tentative agreements on issues, um, you know, uh, including against workplace bullying and abuse, et cetera, have been reached. There's still a lot more to go. So please continue to keep us posted. But very quickly, for people who are outraged by this and who want to support what you all are doing, what should they do? Sarah. Well, Margaret, most importantly, uh, we appreciate, you know, if you are in academic settings to stand in solidarity with us. There is a hardship fund that we can link to student if anybody would like to donate. Um, we are feeding picketers every day, breakfast and lunch on the picket across the campuses. So there's a lot to go. There's a lot of um, you know avenues to donate. There's a hardship fund if you Google UAW hardship fund to donate to um, striking graduate workers. Um, and yeah, just, okay. yes, thank you. Right. Well, thank you so very much. And uh, we're going to please continue to update us. And thank you so very much for your work. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you for having me. Okay, we are out of time. Today's show produced by me, Margaret Prescott. I'd like to thank all of our guests today. I'd like to thank our assistant uh, producer, Alicia Vargas, our engineer today, uh, Gary Baca. If you like the copy of today's show, please go to the Pacifica Radio Archives. Sojourner Truth will be back on the air tomorrow. Thank you for listening. This is your host, Margaret Prescott, and you all please stay well and safe.